The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. A number of years ago, I was playing in a community baseball league, a softball league, actually, and we were just warming up uh, before the inning was going to start, and I was playing third base, and beside me was a really good baseball player. You know how I knew he was really good? Because he was wearing the tight baseball pants. If you ever wear the baseball pants, you know you're a good baseball player. And so we were just warming up, and there was a girl on first base, and so, you know, the ball comes to the really good baseball player, and the girl's standing on first, And the guy threw it harder than I could ever imagine. Like, I wish I could throw as hard as this guy. He whips it all the way to first, and I had this perfect view. The ball was coming towards the girl on first, and it tipped off her glove and hit her square in the face. Shattered her nose. There was blood everywhere. She was screaming. I couldn't believe the sound that the ball made against her face. And I thought, man, that has got to hurt. But then I thought, you know what? If I was on first base, I don't think that would ever happen to me. I think I got good enough reflexes to catch pretty much any ball that comes at me. You know, I'm kind of a ninja out there. I can catch anything that comes at me. I thought, that hurt, but that would never happen to me. And then it happened to me. <laughs> a couple weeks later, um, I was playing actually in our Broadway softball league, and I was playing shortstop, and the ball got hit to me. We were playing on a gravel field, and the ball came. It was hit decently hard, but not crazy hard. And I went down to go and pick it up, and the ball skipped up and hit a rock. Before I can react, before my ninja senses hit me, it smashed me right on the nose, and it hit me, and I remember falling down like this. <laughs> And I looked and I, and I sat there, I stood there for a second and I thought, man, this is not good. This is not good. I can feel the blood dripping. And I look up and my eyes are still closed. And the first thing that I heard, my friend says, oh boy, that's a lot of blood. It's <laughs> like, that is not good. But has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever thought, you know what? I'll never lose my job. And then you find yourself sitting on the other side of the desk from your boss as they're letting you go. Have you ever thought, oh, I'll get into whatever university I want, and then you find out that your grades aren't quite good enough? Have you ever thought, oh, my marriage will never fail, then one day you're sitting in front of divorce papers? Have you ever thought it, whatever it is in your life, will never happen to you, and then one day you find out that it has happened to you? Well, King David, the man whom we've been talking about all summer long, we've been doing this eight-week series on King David. Today is actually the final uh, sermon in that series. But King David, he surely had these types of thoughts. He surely had these it-won't-ever-happen-to-me types of thoughts. Here's why. David had an impressive resume. David was was anointed future king, Uh, before he was actually crowned king. So he was told he was going to be future king before he was actually going to be king. David was the face of the ultimate underdog story. As we found out a couple weeks ago, he was the David that slayed Goliath. When David finally did take over as king at the age of 30, he captured Jerusalem and made it the capital of all of Israel, which was a very, very big deal back then. 
David defeated many nations. He had great wealth. He had stature. He had servants. And on top of everything, he was a man after God's own heart. David saw other nations collapse. He saw other kings get dethroned. He saw other men of stature fall into his mighty hands. I bet you David sat on his throne as he looked at all those other kings and thought, look at them. They had everything and now they have nothing. And here I am. I'm King David. That will never happen to me. You see, before David was king, yeah, before he was king, he was on the run. Before he was king, he had to hide in caves. Before he was king, you know, he he had to run for his life as people were after him. But now, he's mighty King David, and he conquered anyone who who stood in his way. And he was probably sitting on his throne thinking, I'm going to ride this out into the sunset, and I'm going to pass on the baton of my kingship to my next son, and it's going to be seamless. But that didn't happen. One day, a messenger of David came, came to David and he told King David something that no king ever wants to hear. He said this, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Well, who's Absalom? Well, we're going to go back to school today. Absalom is one of the sons of David. And so this messenger says, the hearts of the people, you may be king, David, but their hearts are with Absalom. He's saying, your people don't follow you anymore. And this obviously scares David, and he gathers all his officials and he instructs them. He says this, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he'll move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. You see, 2 Samuel 15, it paints this picture, not of King David, but it paints a picture of David in distress, of David on the run again. Pictures, it, it paints this picture of, of David running away, not sitting on his throne, but, but he's running again. So how did this happen to David? How did this happen to David? How did David go from being a ruler to a refugee? How did did all this spiral begin in his life? What did David do in order to lose control of his kingdom in order for him to be on the run again? Well, those are the questions that we're going to answer in the next few minutes here. And we're going to actually unpack the one event that happened in David's life that led to his decline as king. We're going to find out how David was defeated by his giant and the domino effect that it had on his life. And it had a huge domino effect on his life. If you have your Bibles, you'd love for you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can reach out to the pew in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles there. It's our gift to you. You can take it home free of charge. Uh, Or you can look on the side screens. We're going to read uh, how it all began for David, how this spiral began. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 says, in the spring at the time when the when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around to the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. 
The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So King David's walking around on his balcony. He looks over, he sees a woman bathing. He says, I like what I see, and I want to sleep with her. So he, he, he brings her to his palace, he sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Now, can you imagine the types of thoughts that were, that were going through David's mind as he was walking on his balcony that day? As his eyes went down to Bathsheba, can you, can you imagine the types of thoughts that, he, he, that had to go through his mind in order for him to convince himself that this was a good idea? You know, thoughts like, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. I'm the exception to the rule. If I want to sleep with her, I can sleep with her. I'm sure he had thoughts like, I deserve Bathsheba. After all, I'm the king. You see, once you start to look closely at this passage, we find, as your outline says, that David's giant was entitlement. David's giant was entitlement. Somehow he came to the place in his mind where he thought this was a good idea. He convinced himself that he was allowed to sleep with Bathsheba who was another man's wife. And this giant, this giant of entitlement, coupled with a strong sexual desire, led to a very bad decision in David's life with some very large consequences. The main consequence is his decline as king. So let me ask you this morning, what's your giant in your life? We all have them. What's your giant? When you're thinking of your giant, think of the thing that you struggle with that if you don't work on, it'll ruin your life. Think of the thing that's pulling you away from God. Think of the mindset or the addiction or the sin that you're struggling with. Those are your giants. What is it for you? Maybe you've been hiding it from your friends, from your family, maybe even your spouse. Is it greed? Is it the love of money? Is it comparison? Is it anger? Is it sexual lust? Is it alcohol? Is it entitlement? We all have things in our life that we struggle with and things that we can't seem to overcome, but what is it for you? You see, David's giant was entitlement. And it's actually in the first few lines of this passage that we read where we see how David's giant was able to defeat him. In the first few lines, we read this. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, where was David? David remained back home in Jerusalem. You see, King David, he was supposed to be in war. He was supposed to be leading his armies. He was supposed to be commanding the men in battle. Instead, he sent someone else and he stayed back. And he, he stayed back home. Now, here's the key. If you want to be defeated by your giant, as your outline says, be isolated. Be isolated. You see, David isolates himself and he's all alone and it was all his own choice. So what happens in isolation? What happens when you separate yourself from others? 
I don't know if you watch YouTube at all, but oftentimes I'll watch animal attacks. And one of my favorite animal attack videos that I go to is the classic lion versus elephants. And there's this one that I saw where there's this herd of elephants and they're in a circle and they're protecting the babies that are in the middle because there's, there's lions around trying to snatch any baby they can for dinner. And so the lions are reaching in and they're trying to snatch one of the babies, but the babies are protected when they're in the confines of the herd, when, when, when the elephants are all around. But the lions, they're waiting for that one moment when the herd starts to move a little bit, when one of them gets spooked and they start to move, and that little one starts to drag behind. Because at that one moment, that baby elephant is defenseless. At that one moment, that baby elephant doesn't have protection anymore. That baby elephant is isolated. And that's when the attack happens. You see, just like the lion is wanting to have that baby elephant, the Bible explains that sin is wanting to have you and to destroy you. Did you know that? Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 explains this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It's pretty black and white. You see, and when you're isolated, you leave yourself exposed. When you're isolated, you leave yourself unprotected. When you're isolated, you leave yourself open for an attack. As your outline says, in David's idle time, he became vulnerable to his giant. It was when he was isolated where he said yes to his giant. So let me ask you, have you isolated yourself in your life? Let me ask you a different way. Do you have someone in your life who has full reins to call you out for anything in your life and keep you on track? Do you have someone that you can sit beside and share your biggest giants with and be vulnerable with and do life with? Do you have someone who can stand beside you even in your deepest, darkest struggles? Who have you surrounded yourself with? If you can't think of anyone, maybe your answer is no one, you need to know that you are in trouble. That is not a good sign. You're like that baby elephant being separated from the herd. You're in trouble because now you're leaving yourself vulnerable. Now you're leaving yourself unprotected. Now you're opening yourself up from an attack from your giant. Your giant, he's crouching at your door. He's waiting for the opportune time, to, waiting for the opportune time and the perfect time to attack. You see, that's how our giants work in our life. And that's how David's giant worked in his life. When David was isolated and all alone, walking on his balcony, nobody around, he was vulnerable. That was the opportune time for his giant to attack. You see, it was David's isolation that, that made him vulnerable. And then his bad decisions led him down a very destructive path. I don't know if any of you have kids, but we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, uh, two boys. And every time I come, come home, literally every day, they sprint to the door and they say, Dad, 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 let's fight. <laughs> 
They want to fight. I'm like, okay, here we go. Royal Rumble. We're throwing, throwing them across on the, on the coaches and stuff. And they're fighting and they're running into the other room. They're putting on the Avengers masks and coming back as like X-Men and the Flash. And we're fighting. It's awesome. Shirts come off. It's great. And, and we're, we're wrestling. But you know, when you wrestle against kids, they're jumping off the coaches and stuff. You need to be really careful because there's little elbows flying everywhere. There's little knees flying everywhere. And the whole time, you know, I'm just watching for like that rogue knee because I don't want that knee to hit me where a knee is not supposed to hit me, if you know what I'm saying. And it's happened and it hurts. <laughs> but when I'm on guard, I'm safe. But when I let my guard down, I get hurt. As your outline says, if you want to be defeated by your giant, let your guard down. If you want to be defeated, let your guard down. The truth is you can resist your giant for a long time. You can push away those thoughts for months. You could curb that addiction for years, but your giant will continue to bombard your mind until that moment where you let your guard down. You'll constantly have thoughts of entitlement bombarding your mind. Thoughts of self-harm, thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of envy, of cheating, thoughts of pornography, thoughts of rage and anger, thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of deception, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of partying, thoughts of greed, thoughts of lying, thoughts of slander. The point is we all have these fleeting thoughts that pop into our mind and there's nothing we can do about it. We taught on this exact topic a couple years ago, a couple years ago in our Jesus Said What series. We taught that, as your outline says, a tempting thought in itself is not a sin. You can't control the fleeting thoughts that fly your way, but you can control how you respond to those thoughts. Those thoughts in and of themselves are not a sin. You can't control the thought coming in, but you can control how you respond to that thought that comes in. Martin Luther once put it this way, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. <laughs> you see, David was isolated, and he wandered over, and he saw this woman bathing, and he had a fleeting thought. That thought was sexually charged, it was malicious, it was selfish, it was entitled. In Martin Luther's analogy, a bird flew over his head. But what did David do? David didn't shoo it away, he didn't get rid of it. Instead, David built a nest. In this moment, David let his guard down. And in this moment where he had no accountability, there was no protection, that's when he lost the battle. See, King David's actions that day led to some other horrible decisions. He took Bathsheba, he slept with her, she became pregnant. He found, out that his, he found out that Bathsheba's husband was in his army, and he said, okay, Uriah, her husband, let's send him to the front lines of battle. And when I say let's pull back the armies, and so he's out there by himself, and surely he'll be killed. And that happened. He, Uriah went to the front lines of battle. He pulled back and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was killed at David's command. See, David's giant of entitlement now has led him to be a cheater and a murderer. Now it's at this point 
where David's decisions really start to affect him. David has another friend, another son. His name is Amnon. And he has a daughter as well, Tamar. Now, this may sound very weird, and it was very dysfunctional, but Amnon was in love with his sister, Tamar. And he constantly tried to sleep with his sister, Tamar. It's in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. But Tamar kept pushing him away and pushing him away. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. And so Amnon goes to one of his, one of his friends, and he explains the situation. And his friend gives him a good idea. He says, Amnon, pretend like you're sick one day, and then Tamar's going to come, and she's going to tend to you. When she tends to you, that's when you can sleep with her. So he does. He pretends like he's sick, and it happens. Tamar comes to Amnon, and he sexually assaults his sister Tamar. And here's the crazy part. The Bible explains that as soon as the assault happened, Amnon hated her with intense hatred. He hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Just imagine. Now Tamar, obviously hurt and broken, ran to her, her brother's house, Absalom, and stayed with her brother Absalom and told Absalom everything that happened. And Absalom's looking at King David, his dad. Absalom's saying, dad, you know everything that happened here. Do something about it. Figure this out. This is happening in your house, dad. Figure it out. You know, as a father, you'd want to bring some justice to this situation. But what does David do? David does nothing. He does nothing. Why does he do nothing? Think about it. How could entitled, lustful, murderous King David, who just murdered someone in cold blood after sleeping with his wife, how can he, after doing something that bad with his integrity intact, call out Amnon for this? You see, David lost his voice because he lost his integrity. He couldn't do anything about it, so he didn't do anything about it. And you know what happened after that? Absalom said, okay, dad, you're not going to do anything about it. I'll do something about it. And Absalom came and he said, and he murdered his brother Amnon for what he did to his sister. And Absalom was so mad, he was so steaming mad that he actually turned on David and caused a civil war in David's house. Remember that servant that came up to David that we read earlier? The servant said, hey, King David, you're the king, but the hearts of the people are with Absalom. Absalom created this civil war, and it drove David into hiding again. Who would have thought that all this would have happened just because of one situation? The one event between David and Bathsheba began David's uh, decline as king over Israel. It sent him into hiding, and, and it all happened because of this one event. This one event caused an avalanche of chaos in David's kingdom. In this one moment of isolation, this one moment of letting his guard down, and King David is now uh, watching as his kingdom is slipping away. Now, I read all this, and I think to myself, well, I guess the million-dollar question is, how do I make sure this doesn't happen to me? How do I make sure that my giant doesn't defeat me? 
How can I make sure that my giant doesn't ruin my life? Well, in order to answer that question, I want to go back to that verse that we read earlier. I I read you a verse, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, but I only gave you the first half of the verse. I actually want to give you the second half of the verse now. It says this, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. If you want to defeat your giant, you must master it. Well, how do I do that? How do I master my giant? How do I master my sin? What does that look like in my life? Well, Jesus gave us some insight uh, to this when he was on the earth. He was actually teaching some people uh, how to avoid adultery. And he said this. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, what's Jesus saying here? He was using hyperbole. He's not actually saying literally cut off your right arm if it causes you to sin or literally gouge out your eyes. He's trying to make a point here. As your outline says, Jesus is teaching us to take extreme measures to get rid of sin. That's his point. He's like, take extreme measures. Just because you have had a great past doesn't mean you'll automatically have a great future. Temptation is a daily battle, so take extreme measures. Don't treat your lion like a kitten, thinking to yourself, oh, my giant isn't a big deal because it's crouching at your door and it's waiting to ruin you. So take extreme measures. Think about it. If David, a man after God's own heart, if his giant was able to defeat him, surely your giant is able to defeat you. So take extreme measures. Make good decisions. Make yourself accountable. Take extreme measures because your giant can destroy your integrity. It can destroy your friendships, your career, your reputation. It can destroy your quality of life. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your, rep, uh, your relationship with your kids. Your giant, as David found out, can turn you from ruler to refugee. You can go from hero to homeless, from boss to bust, from mother to mess up, from dad to dud. You can go from a somebody to a nobody. It can happen to you if you don't do something about it. And all that leads me to today's big idea. Every week at Broadway, we like to sum up the teaching in one big idea. And here it is today. When dealing with your giant, if you don't control it, it will control you. If you don't control it, it will control you. If you don't get rid of your computer before your pornography addiction takes over, you're going to ruin your current marriage or your future marriage. Because if you don't control it, it will control you. If you don't shut down your Facebook or Instagram account before the thoughts of jealousy and comparison take over your mind, it will destroy your self-esteem. Because if you don't control it, it will control you. So my challenge to you today is to be proactive. Surround yourself with people that can call you out. Surround yourself with loving people that can keep you accountable. Put a software on your computer. Maybe it means change your friends group. Maybe you have to delete your social media accounts. But take extreme measures because if you don't control your giant, it 
will control you.